Okay, so it says, and God who is rich in mercy. When we come to the word mercy, then we think about the love of God. And of course, in this particular passage, it is tied specifically to his work of salvation. So his great mercy or the riches of his mercy because um, of his great love with which he loved us. Okay? So mercy and love are related here. He has this great love for us and uh, it's poured out upon us when we consider all he's done for us in his plan of salvation. Even though, or being dead in trespasses. In other words, he showed mercy to us and his great love for us in spite of the fact that we were dead in trespasses. We were dead and could not move toward him. He had to move toward us. So he took the initiative because of his love, because that's his very nature. And then we come to some interesting words, um, at least they are in the Greek New Testament, because they're words like made alive, raised, seated, only they have a prefix to them, and it's with or together. So what it's saying is we were dead in trespasses, but he made us alive together with Christ. In other words, when he gave Christ life, he was giving us life because we are baptized into Jesus Christ. Therefore, when he does something for Christ, it also applies to us, okay? Also applies to us. So he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, the verb tense there is important because it means there was one action and it has continuing implications. So he saved you, cross of Calvary, the resurrection of the dead, and that has continuing implications for the rest of eternity. It was not a one-time act, and it's over. It's a one-time act, then he only had to do it once. But the implications of what that means for us go on forever. Go on forever. So it's very important. You have been saved by grace, okay? And then it says, and he raised you together or with, and he seated you with in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. So you were, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised with him. That's what that verb is trying to grasp. And it goes even farther. 
when you, when he was seated on the right hand of the throne of God, you were seated with him. Because if you look in the book uh, throughout the scriptures, the people of God are called kings and priests. When Christ rules, you rule with him. You rule with him. You've been united with Christ. And when you're united with Christ in baptism, you are united in him, with him in all these things. So you're seated, you're, ri you're risen uh, together with him. You are seated together with him. You are made alive together with him. And this is all the action of God. And you're in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. When it says heavenly, it means the very temple of God. The very temple of God. The tabernacle on earth was a representation of what heaven is. When it says the heavenlies, it actually means heavenly places. That is the throne of God. Okay? You are made alive, risen, and seated with him in the heavenly places. Now, um, that's the promise of God to you. It's not fulfilled yet. But these words are such that it says it is so sure it's done. It is so sure it's accomplished. And there will come a day when you will be seated in the heavenlies. Okay? In the heavenly places. In order to show or to prove... In the coming ages, the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, let's take that little at a time. The promises he just made, he's going to use to prove in coming ages. In other words, these are going to be the promises that are given to just, not just us, not just the Ephesians, in the coming ages of the fact that he has surpassing greatness or riches of his grace, which he shows in kindness. In kindness, kindness means loving kindness loving kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're going to be the living witnesses of these promises in the ages to come. Okay? The ages to come. The saints of God are going to testify to these promises in the ages to come. Of his surpassing greatness. Of his grace. In Christ Jesus. You notice how he's still saying in Christ Jesus to everything? Everything is in Christ Jesus. Now his grace is the fact 
that he has a favorable disposition towards you in Christ. Nobody, God does not have a favorable disposition towards anybody unless it's in Christ. You can't have a favorable hearing from God, a favorable uh, you can't stand before him and have him smile at you unless it's in Christ. Okay? In Christ. And you don't want to see the other face. Okay? But it's in, it's always in Christ. A favorable disposition toward you in Christ. And it's always in Christ. Okay? And then comes the passage we've heard so many times. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Okay? So, you are saved by grace. That's the cause of your salvation. The cause of your salvation. The grace of God that you receive, the favorable disposition of God toward you, that's grace, in Christ. By faith. Faith is the receiving means by which, by which God's favorable disposition is given to you personally. Now, it's all God's doing because he had to work the faith in you. So he's the cause of salvation and he's the creator of the faith in you that grasps the grace. You do nothing. Absolutely nothing. And he makes that clear. Because it goes on and it says, and this is not of yourselves. The grace is not of you. The faith is not of you. None of this is of you. God. And then it says, it is a gift of God. A gift of God. Leaves no room for anything on our part. No room. And then it says, again, not, uh, not from works, in order that no one can boast. In other words, no one can boast that they participated in their own salvation. Can't do it. No boasting. But then an interesting verse, after he makes that clear, for um, he, we, we, uh, he made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in order that we walk 
in them. So, he's talked about our salvation. This passage talks about our new life. Okay? We're saved by grace through faith. It's actually talking about baptism here. Because what happens in baptism? You are saved by grace through faith. You don't do anything. That's why baptizing a baby is so such an object lesson. What can the baby do? Nothing. Okay? So, you're saved by grace through faith, but what does that mean now? It means a new life. Remember in baptism, the old sinful nature is drowned and dies. And the new nature comes forth. That new new nature is that now, by grace, through faith, saved in Jesus Christ, we can live for God. We can do the good works that he would have us do. In fact, it goes so far to say that he prepared them ahead of time that we should walk in them. Okay? Now notice, there's two ways to walk presented in 10 verses. Where did we start? We started back in verse 2. And verse 2 tells us that um, we walk. We are dead in trespasses and sins in which then you walked. So then you're changed by God and now you walk in good works. So it's bracketed here. Walking in sin and death through the power of God becomes walking in good works which God prepared for you. So it's the entire section where he explains our salvation. Okay? From start to finish. But there are so many implications of this. And that's what the next section is about. The true implications of all of this. All right. Oh, any questions up to then? Yeah, bud. What about the Yeah. Well, it is kind of heavy. And, and of course, the question is, are these works he prepared for us to do by making us new and not specific works, or are they specific works? There's a couple of ways to look at that. It could just be that he prepared us to be able to do them. That's what he prepared beforehand, rather than each specific good work you do. I don't know which one it is. Okay? I don't know which one it is. You could say either. You could say both. So, yeah. You could say what? 
Well, yeah. Okay, anything else? Yeah. 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 It's all, it's all, the, the question is, how do you reconcile, you know, the, the mother who loves her child and does things for the child versus the church starting a new ministry? Both can be good works. It depends on the motivation. What is the motivation in the heart for what you do? It starts in here. Well, and sometimes, you know, when it comes to these big things, sometimes you're humbled. You know how many things we try to start here at St. Paul's? You know some of them fail? But you don't stop trying, okay? You just... You just do them in faith. Just do them in faith. That's right. Sin bully. Sin bully has been misused by more Lutherans to do more stupid things in the history of the Holy Christian Church. Okay? Um, the context of sin boldly is this. When you don't know what to do, when there's no clear right and wrong, don't sit around and think about it. Just do something. That's the context of sin boldly. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. You do not make up your own good works. All right? Lutheran confessions uh, talk about a man doing works from his own self-will. Good works, by definition, are two things. They're done in faith in Christ, and they're according to the commandments of God. If they don't fall in those two categories, they're not good works. Okay? So you don't make it up as you go and decide this is a good work. Really not. All right. Now, he says, therefore, remember that you, then, you were Gentiles in the flesh who 
were called uncircumcision by those called circumcision in the flesh made with hands. Now there's a lot there. There's a whole lot there. Okay, remember, he's going back to talk, he's talking to the Ephesians about how they were before they came to Christ. And they were called the uncircumcised. And there were two parties, the uncircumcised and the circumcised. But notice it says Gentiles, Gentiles in the flesh. And by the word, way, the word for nations and Gentiles is the same in both Hebrew and Greek. Okay? So, in the flesh. In other words, you were in the flesh, you had not been circumcised, but you, and you were called uncircumcised by those who were called circumcised in the flesh made with hands. Now, that is Paul, that is very important in Paul's writing. Because Paul always pointed to the fact that the most important thing was not circumcision in the flesh. It was circumcision. And how were you circumcised in your heart? Through faith in Jesus Christ. So his emphasis here is... You were called uncircumcised, the party of the uncircumcision, by those who were called circumcised, but it was in the flesh of their made with hands. In other words, he's saying just because you were called circumcised by the circumcised, don't think that the circumcised are all good folks are all good folks because you can be circumcised physically but not spiritually. You can be circumcised physically but not have faith in your hearts in Jesus Christ. In other words, the implication is if you were called uncircumcised by the circumcised, that really doesn't mean much, okay? really doesn't mean much. Don't take that too seriously. Consider the source, okay? Because at that time, you were separated from Christ and alienated from citizenship, the citizenship of Israel. Some of your translations will say commonwealth. In other words, when you were uncircumcised people of the nations, you um, were separated from Christ. There was no relationship with Christ. You didn't know of Christ. You were alienated from Christ. And therefore, you did not have citizenship in Israel. Okay? And you were 
foreigners to the covenants of promise, having no hope and um, without God in the world. All right, so what's being said here is he's describing their former condition that they were foreigners of the covenants of promise. They did not know God's covenants of promise. The covenants were God's decrees. Whatever God decreed, that was the covenant. And his declarations, his promises, they did not, those were foreign to them. Not only foreign to them, they were having no hope. They did not have hope for the future and were without God in the world. Now, someone, the, the word is actually uh, atheoi, atheist. But we can't apply that to the Gentiles because they had lots of gods. Okay? They had lots of gods. So it's got to be without God, the true God. They were without the true God, not without gods. They had plenty of those. Okay? Without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were then being far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. Okay? Now, Notice, in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near. Now, we're going to get into some language here that basically has to do with the temple, with the old temple, or the temple in Jerusalem. Gentiles were not allowed inside the temple. Solomon's temple. There were gates where there was, they could enter. The people entered. But around that, from what we know, and they found this archaeologically, there was a fence where the Gentiles could see the gates. And they also found archaeologically an engraved plaque in Latin and Greek that basically said, if you're not a Jew, don't come in here. And there were armed guards to enforce it. Armed guards to enforce it. So they were far off. They were far off. We believe that that's what's being referred to. And of course, they were far from God. They did not have God. Okay? So they are far off. But notice what brought them near. The blood of Christ. When Christ shed his blood on the cross, what does it say? The temple curtain was torn in two. All who believe in Christ now have access. 
right? So the blood of Christ changed their status. The blood of Christ changed them from being people that are far off to people that are near, that are near in the blood of Christ. For this is our peace, okay? That he made both one and broke and destroyed the wall of partition of hostility in his flesh. Okay, he's our peace. He's our peace. There is now peace with God, and there is now peace between us. The reference that he made both one is the reference that he made Jew and Gentile. In other words, they're no longer separated through Jesus Christ. They are one church through faith in Christ. There's no longer a necessary division between Jews and Gentiles. They have been united into one in Jesus Christ. And how did he do it? In his flesh. It was on the cross that he did this. On the cross. All right. The law of the commandments in decrees, he nullified. He nullified. In order that the two in him might be created as one new man making peace. All right, so the commandments, all that stood in the way of these two have been nullified, not destroyed. God did not, Jesus did not destroy the law. He nullified them so they can no longer condemn you. So they can no longer condemn either the Jew or the Gentile. And so what has happened? Because of this, they are created as one new man. And this is the picture of the church. Okay? One new man making peace. He made peace. The hostility between Jews and Gentiles was was terrible. Okay? Jews would horribly ridicule the Gentiles. And because they he they ridiculed the Gentiles so much, the Gentiles hated the Jews. But no, notice he says he, he makes he brings peace okay, between these two that are at enmity with each other. Um, and the word for enmity goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where he says, I will put enmity between his seed and your seed, between Satan and Eve. Okay? Between Satan and Eve. 
So he gets rid of the enmity, making peace. And he reconciles both in one body to God through the cross, killing, killing the enmity in him. In other words, he kills the enmity. How does he kill it? He dies on the cross. His death on the cross ended the enmity between Jew and Gentile. It's, it's ended. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can do that. And notice, uh, there's no missing words here. He killed it. Didn't say he negotiated peace. He killed it. It's been taken care of. It's been taken care of. And coming, he proclaimed peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. In other words, he's saying this gospel of peace was proclaimed to those who were far away, Gentiles, and to those who were near. The same peace. The peace he won on the cross is proclaimed to both. So now they can be one body in Christ. All right. Um, uh, through this, we have access both in one spirit to the Father. Okay, so um, through him, okay, notice that this verse, 18, contains all three members of the Trinity. That keeps coming up. Through him, Jesus Christ. We have access, both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay? So the Trinity is all together here, mentioned here all together. We have access, meaning that we can now come to God. We can now come to God anytime. And that the usual example that's here is prayer. Okay? We have access to God at any time. The curtain no longer keeps us out. The wall of division does not keep us out. And this is, uh, this is pretty pointed towards us because we're Gentiles. We are Gentiles. All right, uh, let's see if we can finish the chapter. Therefore, we are no longer foreigners and strangers. Your translation may say strangers and aliens. But fellow citizens of the saints and the household of God. All right. Fellow citizens of the saints. Remember it said up there, they were not 
members, citizens of Israel. Now he's saying you are. You are. Because of faith in Christ. And members of the household of God. He, uh, the word for temple, usually in the New Testament, there are certainly words that imply the temple. But sometimes the temple is simply referred to as the house of God. So now it's saying, what is the house of God? The temple in Jerusalem? No. The believers. Now, the temple is Christ. There's no doubt about that. But we are the house of God. We are, and, and we're going to see that because that's what it says here. The house of God. Being built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, the way we understand this is the foundation are the very words that God inspired the apostles and prophets to write that we believe. Where does Jesus fit in as the cornerstone? Well, it's best not to translate this word as cornerstone. Do any of your translations have capstone? Okay. We think it's best to translate a capstone for this reason. In a Roman arch, there are stones all the way up. The capstone is the final stone at the very top of the arch. If you pull that out, what happens? It all collapses. Jesus Christ is the capstone without which it all goes down. So think of a capstone instead of a cornerstone. Uh, we all know what a cornerstone is on buildings. Let's think about this as a capstone. And he is the capstone because without Jesus Christ, the building does not stand. It's gone. It's gone. All right. Um, in which the whole building has been built up, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. All right. So the whole building is built up. The word for built up there is fit together. Fit together. It's like the other imagery of the church. It's built. What builds the church? The believers. So the fit together is like God has fitted all his believers together to fill this building, the church. We're not talking about stone buildings anymore. We're talking about living, breathing. Remember what Peter said? We're to be living stones. Okay? That's the imagery here. We're being fit together. We are, we are being put together uh, as um, stones to build a holy temple in the Lord. Okay? And it's holy, not because of what we have done. It is holy 
because Jesus Christ has forgiven our sins and declared that we are holy. We are his holy ones. And when we are built up, we are built into a holy temple. Then it closes by saying that you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He lives in our hearts and in our midst. But back to your comment, it's all done by the Spirit. You see, the Spirit is the chief administrator of the church on earth. And he is the builder of the church. God says many times, I will be your God, you will be my people. And he will dwell in our midst. This is saying, if you take all the believers everywhere, Jews and Gentiles, and form them into a, a literal temple of living stones, that's where God is. And it's worked by the Spirit. It's worked by the Spirit. And there's no reference here whatsoever to denominations or divisions within Christendom. It is all true believers in Jesus Christ everywhere in all ages. And this is the temple of God. And we see this, uh, a, a good place to see this, if we turn, and I'll just read this to you. If you go to the book of Revelation, And you go to chapter 21. Then it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. The new heaven and the new earth is not a new physical heaven and a new earth. The new heaven and the new earth is us. Us. And it comes down and God dwells there. God dwells with his people. He did when he walked the earth but this will be even greater. Okay. Questions, comments? We've got a few minutes. So you see, this chapter 
starts with us dead in trespasses and sins, then saved by grace, then united as one in Christ, and finally united together as a holy temple in the Lord. You, you can't beat this. It doesn't get any better than that, guys. In this chapter, in this chapter, the plan of God is laid out for all concerned and how God works this. In Christ. In Christ. All right, comments? <clears throat> yeah, bud. It's kind of ironic that not much later he was attacked because they said he brought a Gentile into the inner court of the temple. Yes, that's in Acts, uh, I think, 22. He brought uh, some, they accused him of bringing Gentiles. He did not do it. But in other words, they accused him of bringing in Gentiles inside that fence where it was forbidden. It was a false charge. He didn't do it. But he was accused of doing it. Yeah, accused of doing it. And even though uh, it didn't matter anymore, it didn't matter anymore. Because the temple worship continued in Jerusalem. Why? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We don't need that stuff anymore. Yes, sir. That's correct. Okay, how does the Holy Spirit come to us and do this work? First of all, he comes to us through word and sacrament. He comes to, he works in our hearts through the word and our baptism uh, to uh, reshape us, change our thinking, change our motivations. And the more contact we have with word, his word, the more he can work on us. Now, we can resist him, but basically, as it says, the kingdom of God is in your midst can't see it in the hearts of the people. That's where the Holy Spirit works his magic. So that they are capable of doing things that they never thought they were capable of doing. Okay? But the Holy Spirit does that. So the more you read the word, the more you remember your baptism, the more you take the Lord's Supper you're just giving the opportunity for the Spirit to work in your heart. And sometimes it's not big flashy stuff, little stuff, like the, the example that Dennis used, that Luther said, the mother who is on the kitchen floor scrubbing the floor so it's clean for her family does a far greater work than all the monks and nuns in Germany. That's what he said. Because she's doing it, and it's her vacation, vocation, and she's doing it out of love. That's the greater work of God. That's the greater work. 
Yeah, Don. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately it is. The, the revelation um, is, is uh, pe picturing the, the throne of God and the holy city, um, but we, we've never thought, that's not a place you can find. You can't find where God is in heaven. Go out 320 miles and turn left and go 12 miles, and there he is, okay? So it's never been viewed as an actual place. It is where the saints of God are with God, and he is with them, okay? That's the emphasis. All right. We'll pick up at chapter 3 next week. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.